So uh, we're talking about uh, things Jesus never said. And there's a lot of things, you know, that Jesus never said. But this, today I want to talk about one of the things that Jesus never said is you won't have bad days. Uh, Jesus didn't say if you do the will of the Father, you'll always get the best parking spots. Or if you lose your life for my sake, you'll always look great in a swimsuit. That one is more obvious than others. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and you'll never get a zit on the big day, you know, right before the prom or right before that important event. Or uh, this is one, Jesus never promised you'd always be healthy or wealthy or thin <laughs> or that you would keep all your hair. I'm running to about 50% now of what I had. How about this? Your car's never going to break down. I, I know, I mean, I've, I've had people get upset with me. That they get upset with God when bad things happen. They get upset with God when the air conditioner breaks. And this is, you know, this will be the time of year that uh, you'd want to be upset. We, because we have a sense, sometimes as Christians, we have a sense that because we've, we're following Jesus, we're going to get an easy life. But that's not what Jesus promises us. He promises us the best life, not the easiest life. So sometimes we get confused. We think that God, you know, owes us. I've had, you know, I've, I've heard people say uh, that, you know, they're upset because something happened. And yet they said, I've been paying my tithes. And uh, nothing we ever do for God. This is an important, important point to remember. Nothing you ever do for God creates debt. God's not a debtor. You can't, you know, serve God into a corner. It's like, well, you know, you really owe me, God. Now you really owe me because, you know, I, I helped in the two and three-year-old classroom. So I think, uh, I think maybe some, you know, future wealth is in order. Uh, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll never lose a job, you'll never have difficult times, you'll never face hurt, betrayal, you'll never be wronged, you'll never be lied about, bad things won't happen. He says, in this world, what does he say? You will have trouble. So the only way to not have trouble is to be out of the world. You know, so that's your choice. Trouble or dead, which one you want. Right? You know, and I like to encourage you with this. Life is a series of problems and then you die. And it's true. You have to remember that. And the last problem takes you out. <laughs> you say, well, what got him? Well, he was having such a good time, he decided to leave. It never happens that way. <laughs> so, in the world, you'll have trouble. Pain is a promise, struggle is certain, suffering in this world, suffering in this world is inevitable because this is not where we're headed. This is the journey to. And there's trouble in the journey. 
And some of you, you know, and I understand this, and I'm, I'm compassionate for you because we've all gone through it. And if you're not in it right now, you're going to be going through it in a while because, you know, trouble is, is somewhat constant. Uh, and that helps you. If you can wrap your mind around that, if you can, if you can change your expectation that uh, this is not a strange thing happening to me, this is a normal thing happening to me. This is a life thing happening to me. These are the things that happen because we're alive and we're, we're serving God and we're moving forward. We have an enemy who's attacking us. We live in a world system that is corrupted by sin and is in de- decaying. We live in bodies that have a limited amount of time on earth. This body's going to be changed and it's going to be made eternal, but it's not now. It's mortal. You know? And you can tell that when you like get out of bed in the morning or, you know, Tina and I call it startup pain. You know, it's just, I'm okay. It's just those first couple of steps hurt a little more than they used to. And as Wayne Goodell would always tell me, you ain't seen nothing yet. So, but some of you are in the middle of a difficult season. You feel left out. You feel overlooked. You feel rejected. You feel all alone. You feel like nobody else This is one of the big tools of the enemy. He wants you to think that nobody else is going through what you're going through. That it's unfair what you're going through because nobody else suffers or has the pain or the difficulty that you're having. That it's not fair. Uh, Maybe you've lost your confidence because you've had some setbacks. You're battling depression or anxiety. Maybe you've just had too much bad news too soon. Uh, a financial struggle? Anybody here ever had a financial struggle? You may be right in the middle of it right now. A health struggle or a health challenge? Rounds of chemo? Bouts with cancer? Relationships that are falling apart? Relationship shambles? Pressure feels unbearable, more than you can humanly bear. You're afraid, you're hurting, you're overwhelmed, and it really feels like no one understands. That's what it feels like when when we're in the midst of real trouble. We feel alone. We feel like nobody really gets it. And the reality is nobody does. Nobody really feels what you feel. And to the degree that you feel it doesn't mean that they haven't felt similar things and they will experience similar things. We all will experience a lot of the similar things in life. We're going to experience loss. Loved ones are going to go before us. We're going to experience pain. But when we're in the midst of it, we feel alone. So where is God in the middle of this? What is happening to us and in us when this is happening. So there's a couple of things, reason that God allows difficulty in our life. God allows trouble. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. Because this world is not where we're headed. So in this world we have trouble. One of the things that the Bible tells us that trouble reminds us of the genuineness of our faith. That our faith is genuine. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In all this, 
you greatly rejoice in all this. Paul's, Peter's talking about in all this trouble, in all these difficulties, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. What kinds of trials? All kinds. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, even gold refines by fire, uh, perishes, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter's talking to disciples that have followed after Christ has died and been resurrected. Peter saw Jesus. They didn't. So though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, if you remember who Peter was, Peter was one of the original disciples. He was one of the first three or four disciples that were called. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter was one of the original disciples, walked with Jesus for over three years as he did his ministry, he observed his ministry, and uh, he was kind of one of those personality types that tended to speak before he thought. So, and so he would say things, maybe that the others were thinking, but he, would, he wouldn't hold back. You know, he would just say it. He bragged to Jesus uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus said, you're going you're gonna to run like a little girl. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'll never leave you. And, he, and it was true. I mean, he did take a stand. When they came to, to, to take Jesus away, uh, Peter cut off the high priest's ear, a high priest's servant's ear. Uh, but by the end of the night, when Jesus was being crucified but during the trial, he had, he had denied Christ three times. Then Jesus restored him from this failure of his own self-confidence. Sometimes our greatest failure is our, our depending upon ourselves. Yes. Jesus restored him from this, and then he led the early church. So he's writing this letter to the early Christians, this is, you know, 60 to 65 AD, uh, the emperor Nero uh, is the emperor, and uh, he's a pretty sick person. He's really heavily persecuting early Christians. Uh, very intense. The, the persecution of Christians during the time of Nero was so intense that it actually caused the growth of the church because the public, the Roman public was sympathetic because they believed that Nero had set Rome on fire himself. Then he blamed the Christians because they believed that Nero wanted to rebuild Rome in his own in image as a memorial to himself. And so one of the things that Nero would do is that he would take Christians and cover them with tar 
and then set them on fire to light his garden. And he was the one who killed Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul were both killed by Nero uh, two different times. Church history says that Peter was hanged upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as his Savior. But at that same time, Nero's the one who is said to have killed both of the apostles. So Peter says in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this, that's going to actually end up taking him out. In other words, this, this trial that's going to cause him to lose his life, Peter says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. They have come so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith. There is a genuine faith and a counterfeit faith. So what will prove that your faith is genuine? Difficulty. Trials. Because a false faith always fails in times of trouble. Here's what Jesus describes a false faith. He said, he's talking about the good seed that is sown, about, sown on stony ground, thorny ground, and good soil. Then he refers to the seed that is thrown on, sown on, thrown on, thrown on and sown on, I guess pretty close to the same thing. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word and they respond to it. They hear the word of God and they respond to it, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, choke the word, making it unfruitful. So one of the reasons that God allows trials in our life is because it, it, test the validity, the genuineness of our faith. It helps us for our faith to be refined and we learn a greater and greater lesson to continue to put our trust in Christ. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. And in the same way, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Here's what I've learned. And I'm sure that similar people in this room would tell you the same story. The hardest things that I've been through is the closest I've been to God. The the hardest things, the hardest, most difficult things that I have been through in my life are the things that in those times I experienced greater depths in God that in any other time. So that that actual trial becomes a blessing. So trials come to help reveal, help our faith become more genuine. Kind of help refine out some of the things that we need to get rid of. Don't we all have some stuff we need to get rid of? We do. And secondly, trouble prepares us for greater purpose so we can grow stronger. We can be better prepared. So James, James is the brother of Jesus. He writes, James chapter 1 verse 2, James didn't follow Christ as when he was alive. J- James didn't follow Jesus till after the resurrection. As a matter of fact, 
James uh, and the other brothers of Jesus thought Jesus was crazy. Because, you know, it's hard to believe that your brother is God, right? So, so because of that, he didn't follow Christ until after the resurrection. And he's writing about these same kinds of situations. Consider it pure joy. Now, you understand what he's saying? Consider it joy. Consider it joy. How do we consider it joy to have trouble? We have to think, we have to believe something more than the trouble. We have to believe something more than the immediate pain. We have to believe that something is happening beyond this trouble that is worthwhile. So he says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, Peter said various kinds of trials. Now he's saying many kinds of trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's something you probably know. Ease and comfort never make you strong. One of the goals, I don't know, if you go to the gym uh, and you want to get stronger, the only way to get stronger is to increase the resistance. All right? I mean, you can lift two-pound weights all day long, and that's, you think, well, you know, I'm, that's better. But at some point, if you don't move up to three-pound weights or four-pound weights and five-pound weights, you never get any stronger. And so resistance makes us stronger. Sometimes we don't see the point of why we're being discouraged or why we're being overwhelmed, why we're afraid. We have to realize, could it be that God is preparing us for something bigger than now because of the various trials we're in right now. You think about Joseph. Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery. Joseph who was then as a slave in Potiphar's house was betrayed and then he ended up in prison and there he excels in prison and there he is interprets a dream in prison with the promise that you know I, I won't forget you but the guy forgets him and he's as he's still in prison eventually he's raised to a place to save Egypt and the people of God God was preparing him through the rejection through the slavery through the false accusation God was preparing him. Think about David, young David, the first, the the second king of Israel, probably the most famous king of Israel. Most people have some sense of who David is because he beat Goliath. David and Goliath is a big story. I mean, we talk about David and Goliath, you know, the person who goes after the, you know, the person who has to fight the big corporation because they've got a logo similar to 3M products or something. And so they have to fight... 3M, you know, a coffee house in Minnesota. So we call that a David and Goliath battle. When we're battling, you know, if you, if you have to go up against the government, you know, for anything, for Medicare benefits, or for, how about just battling with an insurance company? David and Goliath. You understand that? 
David defeated Goliath. But before David defeated Goliath, the Bible tells us that he fought a lion and a bear. So David's watching the sheep and a, a lion and a bear come and at different times, not the same time, a lion and a bear come and take a sheep and he goes and rescues the sheep from the lion uh, by killing the lion and the bear. You, you know, and you, if you're David and you're in the midst of this and you just had to deal with a lion and a bear, you might want to say, hey, God, what's up? You know, uh, but God was preparing him for the giant. So a lot of times what God is doing now, you can't see it. You don't understand why he's strengthening you today. You don't understand what he's allowing you to go through today, but he's allowing you to go through what you're going through today so that you'll be ready for tomorrow. The only way to get ready for tomorrow is, is it's going to be tougher today than you want it to be today. Right? After Peter fell... Because he denied the Lord three times, Jesus carefully restored him. And then Peter was the one who preached the message on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people became Christ followers at one time. You see, what Jesus was teaching him was to be dependent upon him and not upon his own strength. Because most people would have been overwhelmed because we don't have any record, really. I mean, they went, he sent them out two by two to preach the good news. We don't have any record of Peter or the disciples ever preaching to large crowds. And you can imagine Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are in the crowd. He could have easily been overwhelmed, but he would, had learned to put his faith not in himself, but in Christ. So what's God doing in you? He's, he's preparing you. God, God is using what you're going through to prepare you, to mature you, to boil out, to refine some of the things that need to come to the surface and let him remove. By the, by the grace and mercy of God, some things in our personality and our natures that need to be submitted to Christ. Submitted to the word. Think about this. How do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with criticism? Did you know that compliments and praise don't prepare you for the real world? Rejection will. Trials, according to the word of God, they don't weaken your faith. They make you stronger. You see, you have to tell yourself, it's not just the pain that I'm going through, it's preparation for what God wants to use and accomplish in my life. It's for Him, not me. Think about this. Why why does God let you get offended? You been offended lately? Stick around, we'll offend you. You're going to be offended. You know, the only way to not be offended is not be around people. People will offend you. People are offensive. People say things without thinking. People say things based upon their own feelings. And a lot of times people are offensive. They're not even trying to be offensive. They're just them. 
but just saying what they, they thought. You do it too. So what is the purpose of offense? Maybe, maybe God's going to use offense to purify your heart. Maybe God's going to use offense to help you not be as offensive. You know, the loneliness. We've been through times of loneliness. Maybe God's is trying to teach you to trust Him and not people. It doesn't mean that God's not going to bring people into your life, but if people are your primary source of help, you're going to always be disappointed because people will always fail you. Because and guess and you're failing people. It's you know it's like you're not alone. That only people fail you. You're failing people too. So where do we run in our loneliness? God's teaching us to run to Him in betrayal. Been betrayed. Maybe God is going to expand your capacity to love and forgive. He's preparing you for greater things. The setback, the thing that didn't go as you planned, didn't work out, the timing didn't work out, the financing didn't come through, the deal didn't work. Maybe God is setting you up to sh- so that he can show that he's in charge and that he's able to do it and it's not about you. How about the pain when we're wrecked with pain? There's a promise. There's purpose in our pain. These various kinds of trials. God not only uses them to show that our faith is genuine, but he uses them, he allows them to help us to grow and mature in areas that we wouldn't go and mature without the difficulty. You look at, you know, the life of Paul. I mean, you think about Paul. You know, one day Jesus calls him on the road to Damascus and says, I want you to follow me and I want you to be a a messenger of the Gentiles. And from that day forward, Paul's life is nothing but trouble that ends with his martyrdom. And he rejoices in it. He rejoices in it. He rejoices in it because he says, I'm, I'm being used by God. God's using me. Even when he's in prison, he says, listen, hey guys, they're preaching the gospel because I'm in prison. There are people out of jealousy and envy who were afraid to preach the gospel before, but because I'm in prison, now they're preaching the gospel and Christ is named. He said, so I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed. So one of the things we can sometimes ask we should ask is, you know, God, what does he want me to learn in this? Not, often we say, God, take this away from me. I don't like it. I wish it would go away. That's always my prayer. Isn't it? I mean, isn't that your prayer? God, m- please make this go away because I don't like it. And a lot of times he answers just like he answered Paul when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, so I'm going re- to rejoice in trials and difficulties because when I'm weak, he's strong. So what is it that God may be working out of you through this? What is he refining in a trouble, in a difficulty, in a betrayal, in a hurt, in an accusation? 
Because there's something about going through something that gives you greater compassion. It's been a while now, but I don't know, 15 years ago or so, maybe 20. Time flies when you're having fun. And uh, I had a lump in my breast. And I don't know if you know this, but the breast cancer in men is even more aggressive in men than it is in women. So I had to go in and have a mammogram. And so uh, there's not a lot of men that have to go in and have mammograms. So as I went to the Women's Health Center <laughs> to have my uh, mammogram, uh, I think the technician took a little particular delight <laughs> and I don't know how painful it normally is for a mammogram uh, but you know because I don't actually have a breast they, 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 had to, they got the muscle this muscle right here and put that muscle in the machine and you men who've never had the delight of having a mammogram, basically what it is, it's, the te- it's, an old, it's a waffle maker. Uh, <laughs> they took a waffle, they took a, I think it's a, you know, Warner, uh, they took a waffle maker and they just squeeze. And, 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 it's, and it's like, it's like they've got a, it's got like they've got an accelerator pedal over there. And, uh, and so they squeeze that until they have a pancake. Uh, Right? Julia was is a radiologist. She has done that. So, so I did have a lump. So then I had then I had to have a lumpectomy. And it was nothing. It was a lot of work for nothing. I'm glad that it was nothing, you know, it's like, but you know. But through all one of the things is that I didn't have any understanding of that. I had no, I had no understanding about the whole that whole process because here's the thing: in the medical business, they have not one concern for how long it takes to get a test back and how that's affecting you. That, you know, so so you have the test and now you have to wait for the results. Somebody's got to read the results. Probably the person who did the test, the radiologist looked at it and said, that's nothing. Because they've done, you know, 40 a day for the last 15 years. But they they can't do that. Or the the tech who runs the machine can't do that. Although they know you got to have somebody else, radiologist and all that. So you're waiting. You're waiting one day, two days, three days, four days, five days. And you don't know. You think, is this, is this something that's going to kill me or is this nothing? It takes a while. What, so it gave me compassion in an area that I had never even thought about. It softened me. Sometimes what God is doing, he's letting you go through something so that you'll better understand what people are going through. You'll have more compassion. You'll have more mercy. You'll have more grace. 
The only true refuge from the trouble of this world is Jesus. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that, Jesus said, so that in me you may have peace. You notice where the peace is going to be? I underlined it. Where are you going to have peace? In the, in the, in the world? No, in me. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And we would, so how do you interpret that? The way I want to interpret that, I have overcome the world, is to mean that I'm not going to have any trouble. That's not, he's just said, in the world you will have trouble. Right? So he's not saying that to be in me and the fact that he has overcome the world and his resurrection is a victory doesn't mean that we're not going to have trouble. He's saying there's something else that's going to take place. He said you're going to have peace not by not having trouble. You're going to have peace in Jesus. In independence. What does that mean? In Jesus. That in me. Resting in Him, trusting in Him, delighting in Him, rejoicing in Him. You have to replace the beauty of this world with a greater beauty, something else that's more glorious than what we see here. And that glory is Jesus, so that we see it in Him. Our peace is in Jesus. Marshall Siegel said this, God will look magnificent in the desert of our suffering when our joy in Him rises while everything else around us crumbles. God will look magnificent in the desert of our suffering when our joy in Him rises while everything around us crumbles. The psalmist, David, in Psalm 71, talks about the Lord being a refuge. And he talks about the Lord being a refuge multiple times. And the heading of this verse, if you have a Bible, sometimes it'll give, you know, This is a psalm of David. Uh, So this says above it, this is the psalm of an old man. So this this is the psalm of David after he's, you know, he's been through some stuff. A lot of it he he caused. And reality, a lot of the stuff we go through, we cause too. Not all of it, but you know, the devil's causing some and the world system's causing some, and just life being alive causes some. But in reality, so David, this, this, this terminology, he's, he's written about God being a refuge a lot of times because God was his refuge. But here, now he's looking back, he's saying how God's faithful. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock, be my refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. And I love this because in in some some Bibles, it even says, for this second rock, the, the last rock, you're my rock and my fortress. It says, you're my craig. You're my cleft. You're my crevice. In other words, that 
that Jesus, Jesus is our place in the rock where we can, we can hide. Surrounded by the rock of his presence, surrounded by the surety of his presence, that we can, we can hide from the shelter, we can get safe from the storm. We, he is the refuge that we run to and delight in. He's the, he's the only hope. Run to Jesus. He's the refuge and fortress we can trust. What do we do in our troubles? Run to Jesus. Trust him. Pray. Cry out, just like David cried, Lord, get, get me out of this. Get me out of this as soon as possible. Lord, help me learn the lesson I need to learn so I can get out of this. <laughs> I don't want to make another lap around this mountain. Let's learn the lesson. The good news isn't that Jesus saves us from our pain. The good news is that Jesus saves us from our sins. And that eventually... He'll save us from our pain. Amen? Let's stand. So Lord, we just come to you knowing that you understand exactly what we're going through. You know the pain we're in, the difficulty we're in. You know what people are suffering in this place. We've all walked in here and as people have greeted us, we all, we've all said, how you doing? We're fine. We're fine. A lot of us aren't fine on the inside. We're struggling. So Lord, you know the struggles. But Lord, we, we also know that our hope, our hope is not in this world system. Our hope is in you. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You have overcome the world, and in you there is victory. In you there is always final and complete victory. So, Lord, we run. We run to you as our hope, our refuge in the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.